Hi, this is Steve. One of our favorite things about doing The Cinephiles is that it gives us the opportunity to share in other people's passion for the movies they love. Whether it's Scott Mance talking about Blade Runner, Michael Vogel discussing animation, or my wife, Karen P. Morris, talking about her favorite film, All the President's Men. It's not just that we learn things about those movies that we never considered before, although we do, but we also learn about the people. That's why it was so incredible to have Perry Nemiroff on the show to discuss her favorite film of all time, Jurassic Park. I can't imagine seeing that movie when I was six years old, but for Perry, it was a transformative experience, introducing her to the world of movie magic in a way that changed her forever. And if you think that part one of Jurassic Park had a lot of movie magic, part two will blow you away with the T-Rex chase, velociraptors in the kitchen, and the unbelievably satisfying climax. Jurassic Park is one of the most beautifully crafted, inventive, and thrilling films of all time. And if I couldn't convince you to watch it before listening to part one, maybe you're finally ready to visit cinephiles.net to stream or buy the film before listening to part two, which is coming this Friday with special guest Perry Nemiroff on The Cinephiles. Hi, everyone. Steve here, jumping in for a quick apology before we start Jurassic Park Part 2 with our special guest, Perry Nemiroff. Now, as you know, the best way to suggest a movie for us to review is by becoming a patron of the show at patreon.com slash thecinephiles. Unfortunately, I completely forgot to thank the patrons who suggested Jurassic Park when we released Part 1 last week. So before we start Part 2, I wanted to give a special shout-out to Evan Bryant-Isbill and Brian Kement and give Brian a chance to tell us why he picked Jurassic Park. Hi, John and Steve. This is Brian from Severna Park, Maryland. Uh, thank you for taking my pick for Jurassic Park. It's one of my earliest movie-going memories that I went with my parents. And I still remember the the awe I felt as a child the first time you see the brontosaurus on screen uh, rearing up on its back legs. And it's a very special franchise to me and my family. My father and I actually make it a point to see every new Jurassic Park movie in theater. So thank you so much for doing this. Thanks, Brian. And now, let's return to the movie. Where we left off, Samuel Jackson's character, Mr. Arnold, was just telling John Hammond that he can't get Jurassic Park back online without the help of Dennis Nedry. I can't get Jurassic Park back online without Dennis Nedry. Cut to Dennis. Again, this is that same thing. It's that, it's that the, the last moment of the previous scene propels us in the next scene. He's in a Jeep. So uh, Wayne Knight driving that Jeep with his glasses getting fogged up, feeling real cramped into that space in the pouring rain, clutching that steering wheel. He does not seem like a very safe driver. (laughs) And he barely knows where he's going, crashes into a sign, can't figure out which way the sign is pointing. I love the way he flips the sign, like which way is the arrow naturally (laughs) going to go? And then he finally crashes that Jeep completely off something, and now he's gets out and he pulls out the winch. As soon as you're pulling out the winch, I don't think you're making your schedule (laughs) to get wherever it is you got to go. And he's muttering to himself, falls down, loses his glasses, and starts to tie the winch around a tree, and then something goes by him. He doesn't see it, but we're starting to hear it, and we hear some squeaks. Looks around, nothing. And then we see that dinosaur come out from around the tree. And this is the guy that we didn't see earlier. Dilophosaurus. 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 Yeah. Oh. And his, I don't 
don't understand his behavior with this dinosaur. Oh, nice boy. Nice boy. Nice dinosaur. Oh, thought you were one of your big brothers. You're not so bad. So does he know anything about he what knows, this is? He knows nothing. Nothing. And the, this whole sequence continues to prove it. The only time that Dennis knows what he's doing and he has any confidence and tact is when he's working on, on the, the computer. computer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The second you you add in another person he has to rely on, another a place that he has to get to physically or any understanding of these dinosaurs whatsoever, he doesn't know. And the thing is, if he even just read maybe whatever the most bare bones sentence about a Dilophosaurus is in whatever brochure they're giving out, yeah. they would know that it spits Benham. Right. Yeah. Which, by the way, they don't. That's all. That's all made up for the movie. Oh, was it really? Yeah. Ah. And, and, and and so I think is that big frill. That's oh. something that was invented for the movie because they wanted to distinguish them from the, the Velociraptors. Yeah, and it looks sense. so good. So cool. So good. Scary as fuck. Scared the yeah. crap out of me. I still remember the first time I saw it when oh, yeah. that thing screams at him. It scared me quite a bit too. And that scream is the sound of uh, a hawk, a howler monkey, and a rattlesnake. <laughs> A rattlesnake. Yeah, because it has a little. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that makes yeah. sense. And he gets hit, but not too bad. He runs to the jeep. The jeep. He just gets the jeep. Gets hit in the eyes now. Really screaming. Hits his head trying to get into the jeep, and, and then gets in. And there's a moment of, oh, maybe he made it. Yeah. No. <laughs> that dinosaur is right in the jeep with him. Well, and he also drops the Barbasol can, mm-hmm. which goes right down the waterfall and then gets buried well, under the mud. This was the opportunity to continue the franchise. Yeah, I know there was, there was only so much coolant in the can, but I still feel like the war between Biosyn and InGen could have come back into play with someone finding the can, yeah. maybe even just not necessarily being able to use what's inside the can, but understanding what's happening and wanting to continue that, yeah. that you versus you kind of thing. Well, or that DNA gets picked up by other... I mean, there's all sorts of things. I mean, look, if the Genesis plan it can bring Spock back to life. <laughs> that this this should be a perfect plant for the sequel Good here. Um, uh, and so we can say goodbye to Dennis. <laughs> um, Alan washes his face in the storm drain, and he's calling out to Timmy because Timmy, we haven't forgotten, oh, he's still, still up in the there car, yeah. in the car, and he has to tell Lexi, "I've got to go get Timmy," and she's just still on. He left. He left. And that camera pushes in, and that mm-hmm. great Spielberg close up, and yeah. he says, "But that's not." I'm gonna do. This is the first time he's genuinely engaged mm-hmm. with a human other than Laura Dern. Like he's present in a way he hasn't been present before. And he climbs, uh, starts to go up. She climbs in the storm drain and he is calling out to Timmy. He's getting closer and closer to the car. You hear me out coming up. This is all on a stage, by the way, where this is shot. And he opens the door and there's Timmy who's a little upset because he threw up. Which seems like, you know, that's not really a problem here, kid. <laughs> um, and the camera work is amazing because the camera kind of sweeps down in below him and the car is starting to move. And Tim is slowly coming out, coming towards him, and they get out into the tree. And we think maybe this is going to go all right. Tim's a little nervous about climbing down the tree. The thing about climbing is you never, never look down. This never. is impossible. So How am I going to do this? Okay. I'm going to help you with the footing. It's not going to be all right because that Jeep is really starting to move. We got to go. 
They start going down. Those headlights flash in Tim's face. The car comes crashing through the tree. I mean, this is another amazingly constructed sequence. And there's a great moment where the car slams down, stopping just behind Alan Grant's head in this great close-up of him. Finally, they get to the bottom. The car comes all the way down and then flips over on top of them. And this is like right out of Buster Keaton. Yep. It's a perfect Buster. There's going to be a lot, by the way, of things falling on Tim and him not getting killed. <laughs> this is going to happen several times in the film. He gets the best line at the end of that yeah. moment, too. It's like that one, you know, uh, re- a, like a relief moment where you get a laugh and he goes, we're, we're back in the car again. <laughs> yeah, that's great. At least we're out of the tree. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sadler and Muldoon have found the, one of the Jeeps, and they've also found a few body parts yeah. spread mm-hmm. out. And then they hear Malcolm, yeah. um, and his line is, Remind me to thank John for a lovely weekend. Give me Chance moving him. Please, Chance. <laughs> He's so funny. Yeah. Still trying to find the other Jeep, and then she finds it. But there is no one there. And really, we got to get Malcolm back because he needs medical attention. And so they got to leave. And they're in the Jeep. And what do we hear? Oh, man. We hear those footsteps. And this is another really, really Mm well-constructed sequence. Malcolm in the back. And suddenly that T-Rex appears. And it starts charging at them. And it's a race. And the Jeep is heading off. And Malcolm's going, must go faster. (laughs) <laughs> T-Rex is getting closer, and there are great reactions to the car, and then we have another brilliant idea. We see in the side view mirror, objects in mirror are larger than they are, closer than they appear. <laughs> Just I great. have never looked at a mirror on a car without thinking Me about too. that I moment. I have the same thought mm-hmm. every single time. And there's a fallen tree, and the T-Rex crashes through it. It butts its head with a Jeep. And by the way, this came from reference from a rhinoceros on a safari that would do this to a Jeep, and that's where they got this idea. Wow. Um, and that thing is really, really close. And finally, we get the car into a higher gear, and we slowly pull away from the T-Rex. Another fantastic fantastic sequence. Is that believable that the car would pull away? That's what I thought this time around. Was it believable that it would go faster than the Well, they T-Rex? said, you said it was 36 miles per hour. Uh, so, so yeah. does that Jeep go, okay. I mean, you know, on a, on a muddy, dirty, narrow road, yeah. you know, 30-something miles per hour is actually pretty fast. But yes, yeah. theoretically, that's I feel like it was away. 32 miles. Yeah. See, I still, I'm still debating between 32 well, we and 36. Will, we will have the answer eventually. I, I know all the car numbers, too, which is wildly disturbing. So, um, but, uh, Jeff Goldblum also gets to repeat that must go faster line in yeah. Independence Day, which is another one of my all time <laughs> 90s favorites. You can have that one. Yeah, That's I know. That's not, one, not I know. one of my favorites. I'm all like, I can't even embrace it as much anymore because of uh, Resurgence. I, so I never, never Stop even it. occurred to me. Good as, Resurgence is not Keep as bad it that as way. Thinks. Oh, it's that She's bad. Crazy. It's really bad. She's crazy. She's crazy. It's such a fun movie. So one more thing on the making. <laughs> one of the other things Spielberg did. So in addition to doing um, storyboards for everything, he got a little lipstick cam and a bunch of toys and filmed all, all these sequences with um, a lipstick Cam, so essentially making early animatics or a visual reference. And then Phil Tippett, our guy who was the stop motion guy, did stop motion dinosaurs and composited them into all of Steven Spielberg's films. So he actually worked out all of this in advance. Wow. He is. And what's so interesting about this is so Spielberg is a prepared filmmaker. Mm-hmm. You know, my students in class, this is what I teach them, not to say you could be Steven Spielberg, but to go like, you need to have your shot list. You need to work out what you're doing in advance because you have limited time and you have limited resources. Yeah. And that's what a prepared film- filmmaker does. And S- Jurassic Park was prepared to the nth degree. 
And then right when he wraps photography on this, he goes off to Poland to begin shooting Schindler's List. And this guy who had prepared for every single movie he ever did decided when he shot Schindler's List that he was not going to do a shot list. He's not going to do a storyboard. He's going to walk on the set in the morning and decide what to shoot right then in the moment. And so he shot Schindler's List in a way he had never shot anything before. And still made it work. Yeah. Well – and I won think, an Oscar for it. That's an understatement. I mean, yeah, I, I, I think when you are a a master filmmaker mm. as Spielberg is, there's a time where you can go work without a net. Yeah, you know, and that's also why Schindler's List looks different from any other Spielberg film. Agreed. It's another movie we'll do at some point. Although, oh my god, it's a rough mm. one for me. Yeah, it's a very, me too. Very tough film. Um, okay. Um, we're with Alan and the kids. We're hearing the roars in the distance. They climb up a tree. And they see the Brachiosauruses in the distance, and they are singing almost like whale songs. And again, we're right back to wonder. Even in the midst of the terror, we can still have the wonder at seeing these animals. Uh, And he calls to them, which seems like a weird choice. And then one pops up right near them, and, and Lexi's freaking out. And I would say, correctly so. Yeah. You should be freaking out when a giant animal like that is right near them. And they're trying to kind of comfort her like, no, no, this is a an herbivore, which I think they call a vegisaur. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah vegisaurus. Vegisaurus. Yeah. Um, and, and, and they even like hold out a, a branch for it to eat. This mm-hmm. is really stupid. I really like. Oh, you think it's stupid that they hold out a branch for it? Absolutely. I probably would have done that. Yeah, it's sweet. You don't know anything about this animal. Just saying an animal is an herbivore doesn't mean it's not dangerous. Hippos kill way more people. They kill like 800 people a year. They're hippos. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, They're herbivores. Yeah. Elephants kill like 400 people a year. They're herbivores. Like any big animal is really dangerous. And those are huge animals. And it could just, you know, but it's beautiful and it's cute and it's lovely. I just think it's dumb. Uh, and, okay. It's like a big cat. And then as Alan tries to sit down, he gets a little poke because in his back pocket is still that velociraptor claw. What are you and Ellie going to do now if you don't have to pick up dinosaur bones anymore? I don't know, I guess. I guess we'll just have to evolve too. And then we end this scene with Timmy saying a whole bunch of blind dinosaur jokes. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that was a thing. Had you ever heard blind dinosaur jokes? No. I didn't. Do you think he saw us? Sorry, <laughs> Rex is the dog. Um, we go through the gift shop, <laughs> hearing a much different version of the Jurassic Park theme, and there's John Hammond all alone, eating some ice cream. Oh. Mm. Melted ice cream. Yeah. And Ellie comes up, and there's this talk about... Who better to get the children through Jurassic Park than a dinosaur expert? By the way, I want to say something here. This when when before the scene starts, what Laura Dern does here is really interesting. As an actor, you watch this, right? The hands out on the table before she sits. Mm. That's almost like a, a little bit like a teenager about to talk to her dad about something she doesn't want, like she's concerned that uh, to talk to her him about. And I love that she does. It's just a little thing, yeah. but it conveys so much about how she reveres what John, mm. who John Hammond is and what he's done. But she has to have the uncomfortable conversation with him that she doesn't necessarily want to have. It's a little thing. I think it's a great point. It's the difference, right, totally. in these great movies. But it's her way to kind of be like, I'm reaching and I'm not sure if I should. Really good point. I love it. Because she's going to have to be pretty harsh with him. Yes, yeah. and that's what I mean. Yeah, she's yeah. setting no, I, herself. She's preparing herself to do it. And then he tells this story about the flea circus, and this is his first story. And, and what's interesting is nutty story. The flea circus is essentially a con job. 
You know, yes, it's that right. we're going to have all these little mechanical things and say it's a flea circus and people will believe that they can actually see the fleas when really it's all an illusion. And it seems as if his whole life's work has been to reverse this, to make it be for real on some level. I wanted to show them something that wasn't an illusion. Something that was real. Something that they could see and touch. I got some shit to work out with my mom about it. <laughs> that's really the whole part. It's going to cost lots of people their lives. Um, um, and, and, and he's still kind of going, he's still defending his position. You know, this is not, def- my idea is not devoid of merit. Um, and, and she's going, no, you can't, you can't escape this. You can't think your way through this. You have to feel it. You're right. You're absolutely right. Adding Nedry was a mistake. That's obvious. We're over-dependent on automation. I can see that now. Now, the next time, everything's correctable. Creation is an act of sheer will. Next time, it'll be flawless. (laughs) And again, he's trying to, like, oh, solve this problem rather than actually look at his whole conception. And she says... It's still the flea circus. It's all an illusion. When we have control again. You've never had control. That's the illusion. I was overwhelmed by the power of this place. But I made a mistake, too. I didn't have enough respect for that power, and it's out now. The only thing that matters now are the people we love. And he, he kind of looks up and makes eye contact. And she does a wonderful, interesting choice, which is she takes a spoonful of ice cream. There's no better way to break the tension than by eating some ice cream. (laughs) And she says, it's good. And what is his response? Spare Spare no no expense. expense. (laughs) That phrase is such a fascinating thing about his character Mm. is that I'm doing the best of everything. And therefore, because every I've spared no expense, Mm -hmm. everything must be good. It's all the expensive stuff. I think it's also a subtly brilliant thing when you separate Dr. Grant and you separate – what's Lord Ern's character again? Ellie. Ellie. When you separate Ellie and Grant and – Grant, because you send Grant to be, in essence, saving the kids and whatever that he's supposed to do. But he's not the one having these philosophical discussions with, Doc, with right. Hammond. It's her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I love that. I just love how much, how much to me, it's what he's doing is standard, you know, hero stuff, right? Standard hero stuff. But what she's doing is about the larger picture. Yeah. And I love that she gets all of yeah. that as it's a It's really sad because essentially every element of this park is just one big illusion mm-hmm. for John Hammond because as we have already proven time and time again, he hires the best of the best, and mm-hmm. he doesn't have any understanding. It's kind of what Malcolm was talking about in the uh, in the lunch scene, too, right. where you're just standing on the shoulders of what was created before. You don't really understand it. You right. don't really respect it. And that's what she's kind of drilling in yeah. even more so now. And he's that's what he has to slowly come to realize over the course of all these terrible events. Well, yeah. And there's a thing of when you hire the best of the best and you don't really understand it, you're still the boss. So he hires the best game hunter in the world who says you should destroy these velociraptors. Yeah. <laughs> But he doesn't listen to that guy. Right. And he hires uh, Arnold, Sam Jackson's character, who's telling him all sorts of stuff that he's ignoring or pushing or not listening to because he thinks he uh, actually knows better than the best of the best. And why does he think that? Because he has all the money. I mean, that you know, because he's an entitled person. Mm. Um, it's morning. We're waking up. There's another Brachiosaur comes in. 
uh, eats some leaves. Lexi starts to freak out. They calm her down. This is a Vegisaurus. It's okay. And uh, and she smiles. <laughs> and they kind of say, oh, it looks like it has a cold. And she kind of she's getting brave. And can I touch it? And she reaches out to touch it. And that thing sneezes on her. And it's so <laughs> nasty. When I was real little and I saw this and my sister was even younger, this was her favorite scene. <laughs> It's really sense. funny and yeah. really gross. It's a, it's a cute, sweet yeah. scene. And by the way, we should give a shout out to Ariana Richards, which we haven't yeah. even yeah. yet, as uh, yeah. as Lex. She's so good in these scenes that she's put in. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, she is still very much involved in the franchise, very much oh, in yeah. love with the franchise. I actually did a little bit of a deep dive on her Twitter uh, this morning, uh, and uh, she has videos of her going to ride the Jurassic yeah, yeah. Park oh, ride fun. for the last time. And I was supposed so to go sweet. do that when she was there, oh, she... and I, I don't know if you remember, that's yeah. like the week that I got a really bad cold, and I couldn't go, oh. and I was so upset. You should have gone there. So you should have gone there and sneezed on her. I know. Do you think she would appreciate it? <laughs> oh, yeah. It? I think that would have gone off really well. Uh, she, and she was involved. It's so great. To, and then the videos, if you, if anybody's listening who is a fan of the movie, go and watch the videos that she has on her mm-hmm. Twitter. She is so happy to do it and so so sad it's closing because it's such a great ride still for her, as you were saying earlier, Perry. So that was fun to know that there's not a chi- there's not a bitterness from a child actor about yeah. a movie that so many people love. Like she still loves it very much. And you know, she never, she didn't act that much after this and became a painter. And mm-hmm. she's very successful. She's married to some Irish guy. They just had a kid like in 2015. And- and Even so she's the guy know, who plays Tim is uh, still in the industry. He's yeah. he's still he he seems to be doing well to me. He's yeah. going to be in a uh, Joe Mazzel is going to be in a uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, is really soon. Yeah, yeah, he's in Bohemian the Rhapsody, very yeah. first movie my wife worked on when she entered the entertainment industry as an assistant accountant was on a Joey Mazzella. Uh, it was called the Warrior of Waverly Street that oh, yeah. got oh, yeah. renamed as Star Kid or something like that. Uh-huh. Yeah, that was her very. That's her first job. Wow. That's her first IMDb credit. Um, okay, uh, and now we're, we're heading away, we're walking, and this is where we hit the little plant that Lexi is a computer hacker, um, and what does Alan find? Uh, dinosaur eggs. Yeah. So I guess they're breeding. You know, Malcolm was right. Life will find a way, and he figures out that, oh, they had said they use frog DNA to mm-hmm. fill in the gaps, and that there's certain breeds of frogs that can switch yeah. genders mm-hmm. when there's no other, when there's no of the other gender around, and that's obviously what happened. So the arrogance of the scientists have introduced a mistake. To make my third Wrath of Khan reference, I would say it could be like <laughs> David Marcus adding proto matter into the Genesis Project. Sure. Matrix. Actually, that's more search for Spock. It's okay. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> There's a shot of Jeff Goldblum looking so sexy. Oh boy. <laughs> oh man. Shirt Hands open. down the best meme out of Jurassic Park. <laughs> it's just awesome. My favorite version of that meme is the one that combines Alan laying on the Triceratops but laying on Malcolm's belly instead. Oh, my God. I have not seen that. Oh, no? It's the funniest thing. Oh, that's hilarious. Um, And finally, we come up with a plan. The only way to do this is we've got to shut the whole system down. Hold on to your butt. (laughs) You stole my line. Oh, sorry, Perry. (laughs) Perry has it as her, like, um, uh, iPhone cover. I've seen it as your iPhone cover. It is way more than my iPhone cover. There you go. I have a tattoo that says uh, "Hold on to your butt." Oh. Oh, you knew, funny. you knew this. You knew this. this yes. Yeah, handwritten by Sam Jackson. Really? Not, not like physically on me. Right. He wrote it on a piece of paper for me, and then I then took, took that piece that. of paper wow. to a tattoo shop. That's fantastic. <laughs> um, and we come up with this plan that step by step we're going to shut everything down. Um, and we grab some flashlights. And yes, now we have "Hold on to your butts." Hold on to your butts. They get a system ready message, and then 
it worked. Everything's gone down. And everyone's like, yeah, we, yeah, this worked. And Malcolm's going, what do you mean it worked? We, we, it, nothing's happened yet. It's like, oh, well, now we got to hit the breakers. Where are the breakers? <laughs> Maybe we should have discussed this before. Maybe we should have sent someone out next to the yeah. breakers. They right. had never done it, though, before. That was the problem right. is they mm. had never done a full system shutdown. Um, well, the breakers are in a maintenance shed. And it's like three minutes away, no problem. Sure. Sam Jackson says, hey, I'll go take care of that. I think this is all going to work out fine. Sure. sure. Yeah. Black guy always survives in a sci-fi I movie. Think you're, or an adventure I think movie. you're right. <laughs> uh, we're back with Alan and the kids, and we run into a herd of, what are the animals? Gallimimus. 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 Yeah. Still, Grant's still sort of fascinated by the science of the thing and not thinking about the fact that these big animals are charging right towards them. And yeah, sure, they're veggie sources, but... They're big animals. And finally they decide, no, no, let's get some cover. And they run and jump behind a tree. And just as they get behind this tree, who shows up but a T-Rex? Well, Grant says they seem to be running in a pattern away from a predator. Oh, he does say that? Oh, I don't yeah. remember that and, and then you're like, what, what do you mean? And then, yeah. then you see it happening. Yeah. And that T-Rex grabs that Calaminus and shakes it and kills it. That poor thing. There were so, it's like there were so many of them. Could you imagine being the unlucky Gallimimus that it actually caught? Mm-hmm. Yes, I can. <laughs> um, by the way, the, the, the sound of that T-Rex killing that animal is Gary Rydstrom's dog playing with a rope toy. Oh, jeez. Um, and they, they watch, and they're kind of like, maybe we should get out of here. And they get the hell out of there. Especially because they're considerably slower than Gallimimus is. So we're still back in the control room, and it seems to have been a long time, and maybe something something went wrong. <laughs> and Hammond's line is, oh, it's just a delay. When they opened Disneyland in 1958, <laughs> nothing worked. Yeah, but John, if the Pirates of the Caribbean breaks down, the pirates don't eat the tourists. That's a great line. Always good for a line. And finally, Ellie says, I got to go. Uh, Muldoon says he's going with her, and Hammond's grabbed some plans, and finally, he and, and we grab some walkies, and he goes, you know what? It should be me that goes. <laughs> and and, the, and there's kind of a why, and he starts to say, well, I'm a... Uh, and Ellie's response is... Look. Come on, let's go. We can discuss sexism and survival situations when I get back. You just take me through this step by step. I'm on channel two. <laughs> great, I love that great line. line. It's an 80-year-old man thinks he should have... and. Uh, Turns out he can't even read a map. Yeah, right. And we're outside, and Muldoon, who has grabbed a big gun, is kind of scanning the field, and they walk past the raptor enclosure, which is torn completely open. We see raptor tracks. We realize the shutdown must have turned off all the fences. Mm. He takes off his hat, which is just a sort of a great moment. Mm. And they see the maintenance shed, and she goes, well, we can make it if we run for it. And he says, no, we can't. That's why I'm being hunted. Oh, God. From the bushes straight ahead. Great, great moment. Mm-hmm. And he finally comes up with a plan. You run for the shed. I've got her. Now, I think what his plan is, is he's using her as bait. Is that what you think yeah. is going yeah, on? Yeah, yeah, Is that he knows she's going to go after her, or I assume. And she she goes, turns and runs, <laughs> runs right into a tree, um, and then swings on a branch, lands in the water, runs to the door, opens the door, closes it, and there's a great moment of silence. Mr. Arnold? No answer. Hmm. Gets on her walkie, tells John that she's in. He starts giving her directions. Um, and at this point, our Alan and our kids have reached the fence, the big perimeter fence with the 10,000 volts things. Grant's at the fence. Sees the lights are off. 
Um, throws a stick at the fence. I guess it means the power's off. And he walks up to it. He grabs it. He shakes. He <laughs> screams. <laughs> Lexi did not like that joke. Tim thought it was hilarious. Again, this relates to Jaws because in Jaws, and I'll tell you why, is that there's the moment in Jaws where the two kids have the cardboard cutout of the shark fin mm. and we have the fake scare. And one of the things Spielberg and John Williams decided was that when they do the fake scare, we would not have the shark theme. There would be no music because they didn't want to cheat the audience. Right, mm-hmm. right. No music in this moment either. It's a completely silent setup. Is that oh, yeah. I don't think there's any moment we're really thinking that he's actually getting electrocuted. We are not faking out the audience. And now we're trying to see if there's some way to climb through this fence. Yeah. But there is not. The only one way to go, we got to climb over. And at the same time, Ellie has reached a dead end. And uh, John is trying to give her directions. But apparently he's not so good at reading schematics as he thought he was. What is he good at? How did he make his money? That's what I want to know. circus. Um, oh, ridiculous. No, I don't know. I don't know. Well, and did, was he born with money? Or we don't. I don't know. Once again, no backstory. It's yeah. a good point. Um, is it in the book? I mean, him having a, a company called InGen. Right. I, ima- I imagine they've developed some genetic sort of, of genetic yeah. engineering that has paved the way to it being this gigantic operation. I feel like I know the answer to that, and it's not coming to me. Mm. Um, so now Ian Malcolm is giving her directions on where to go and to, to, to follow something through back towards the box that says high voltage. And she goes into it. And just as she's getting into where she's going to turn the power on, um, our our uh, Alan and the two kids are near the top of the fence and they're trying to climb over the fence and there's a great camera shot that moves through the fence underneath them. Really, really good shot. Um, and now we're back to her turning on and John says, well, you got to pump it first to prime it before you turn on the power, which she does. It's charged. We have this big green button. She pushes it. Power is slowly coming on. Back at the fence, the lights and the alarms start going. Yeah, the Again, blue light. really, really good setup. And we start to go, Oh, oh, shit. shit. <laughs> um, and they're start, they start to realize something's going on. They start to climb down faster. Um, and Timmy starts to fall. <laughs> and he now grabs on and he doesn't really want to let go. And she's on to the switches of turning on the individual park systems. And we mm-hmm. see what each of the things she's turning on. And we see the one down at the bottom that she's eventually going to get to. That's the perimeter one, which is the one that they're climbing on right now. And she goes switch by switch by switch. And now they're Grant and Lexi are down on the ground and they're saying, come on, Timmy, go, go, go. Timmy! Let's go now! Timmy, gonna have to jump. You crazy? I'm gonna jump? Jim, you and Dr. Let's go! I'll count to three. One, two, three! And then she flips that switch and the power comes on and Timmy gets blown right off that fence into Grant's arms uh, and they hit the ground. That is so perfectly cut with the reveal of the raptor, too. It is. Like, mm. it, it does not miss a beat. It doesn't let you get a breath. Right. Because right when he happens, he catches him. Timmy's on the ground. Grant says he's not breathing. And then Ellie says, Mr. Hammond, I think we're back in business. And then that raptor comes yeah. right through that wall. Yeah. And perfectly she timed. screams, perfectly timed. She's running. She gets through a gate. Closes mm-hmm. the gate and then she goes back, feels a hand on her shoulder, goes, Oh, Mr. Arnold. It's just an arm. <laughs> um, and more screaming, and she's running away. She's limping now. 
She gets out of the bunker, slams the door, gets out of the fence, sits down crying. And now we're back with Muldoon hunting a raptor. And it all happens real slow. He climbs through a branch, puts down his hat as he sees movement. He slowly raises the sight. He aims carefully. And then just as he's about to fire, there's movement right next to him. And there's a perfect rack focus to the raptor. And he says, Clever girl. It's also basically showing you in action exactly what Grant described yep. at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, and exactly what Muldoon talked about with them being intelligent in the way they hunt. Mm-hmm. Also, but like spe- specifically, oh, it's like the other two are there and you didn't even see yep. the third one coming. Yep. Also, it's the reverse of what Muldoon was trying to do was to use her as bait. Yeah. They used they yep. used the raptor that he was going to shoot as bait to trick him into that moment, and so they attacked him from the side. Yeah. Great, and I think we really like that guy. We have really Muldoon. Muldoon. Yeah, absolutely. This guy is a cool guy, and it sucks when he gets wiped out. Yeah. Well, and this is your Quint thing too. Mm-hmm. Is that the, it, his death in a way has a, a parallel to Quint's death? Yep. Is the the guy who was the best hunter gets mm-hmm. taken out, and because yep. Quint describes. Um, someone getting cut and bitten in half, and that's exactly yeah. what happens to him. Yeah, yeah. There, I hadn't thought about that, but there's a good parallel there. And that's how you keep it PG. Is it PG thirteen this movie or PG? I think it's PG thirteen. Okay. I think it's PG. That's how you, you have his death occur behind the yeah. leaves, yeah. so you don't see blood, you don't see, but you hear the screams. The screams are still bone chilling. They are. John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephiles' new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game. Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old, and this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap, or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. Yes, Stephen, as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? Free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. Yeah. Um, back with Alan. He's given mouth to mouth to Tim, and Tim coughs and comes back. And the first thing he says when he wakes up is three. 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 <laughs> just, and his hair is like a yeah. matted. It's so great. And hey, we made it Human back to we made it back yeah. to the main building. Yeah. Um, and uh, we get inside, and and now Grant's. This is the as you say, a piece of toast. Is he's now joking with them? Now he's. You can see he's built a relationship with these people mm-hmm. and connecting with them like a human, mm-hmm. which is very different from the Grant that we left at, met at the very beginning. Um, and he says, "I'm going to be back soon. You just stay right here because he thinks they're safe." 
I don't know why quite why he thinks that, but he goes off to find the control room. And well, technically, he doesn't even know the nature right. of yeah, what just true. happened. That's true. Um, and uh, T- Timmy sees there's a big buffet. <laughs> We've got some dessert. <laughs> Look, that's very very important. Um, and Grant's outside, and he sees Ellie lim- limping up that hill, and he calls to her, and I love her. Run. Yeah, like that's just such a great. Uh, performance, a great setup, and because he doesn't—you're right—he doesn't know what's going on, mm. and they embrace. And um, Tim and Lexi are eating some dessert, and they're looking at each other. And there's a weird long moment, and Tim looks at Lexi, who's holding some green Jello, and her hand is shaking, and she has a really intense look on her face. And then we see what she's seeing, which is movement in the shadow behind Tim. That is an A plus facial expression. <laughs> yeah. And oh, yeah. jello jiggle. It's a yep. good jello jiggle. Um, I want to record that was on the guitar. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then uh, they head off into the kitchen to set up for another amazing sequence. They go in. My fi- my second favorite it's sequence. Really in the good. Movie. They turn off the light. Um, they hide behind the counter. The, the We see the window and the door, and the raptor appears. And again, that blast of steamy air fogging up and that, that window. Noise. And the noise. <laughs> And we see the eye look through and more breath on the window. And uh, back in the control room, Grant's got a gun. And we're kind of like, okay, there are two raptors, right? Yeah, they're all contained. Sure, there's no problem unless they figure out how to open doors. And again, we have this mm-hmm. cut to that handle on that door turning. It's the mm-hmm. question is posed on the A side, answered on the B side. Um, and in comes the raptor. And now we got two, not just one raptor, but two raptors coming in. Um, and they move behind the counter, and we see those claws tapping on the ground, and they're right right above them. And there's great, just beautifully set up shots as they're tracking with, we see in the background, we see the claws along the floor, and then we see their fingers crawling along the floor, and pots are getting knocked over. And again, it's the connection between the, the raptors that we see and their actions within the physical world. And sometimes these raptors the are people The sound design, too, is incredible. It's like that part where, you know, you've heard the thing about astonishing jumpers, but the way they capture that yeah. with just the sound alone when mm. the raptor jumps up to the top level. That's great. And Chilling. apparently that's one of the hardest shots they did in CGI was the raptor jumping on top of oh, the counter with the feet sliding out. Tim and Lexi separate. Lexi makes noise and then climbs into a, t- a cabinet and closes it. The raptor charges and slams into the metal, which is just a reflection. It's such a good sibling moment. Mm-hmm. She saves him. Yep. She sa- After all that bickering, she's the one who saves his life. Yep. And then Tim sees that there's this open freezer with all this kind of melted ice on the ground. And so he starts running towards the freezer. The, the raptor charges after him. He runs into the freezer. The raptor runs into the freezer. The raptor slips and falls. Tim comes out of the freezer, slams the door, and manages to close it on the raptor. These kids are doing pretty well. Yeah. Still really scary sequence. They're smart. They're smart kids. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, and I should say that Lexi comes and runs and helps at the door, screaming mm-hmm. when they lock that raptor in. Mm-hmm. Um, and back in the dining room, they find Grant and Ellie. They go back to the control room. Um, and now we need to boot up the system mm-hmm. yep. in order to lock the doors. You could just get like a lock on a door. <laughs> Not well. All the locks are controlled by the system because he even he puts his fingers on the door as he's screaming to her to boot up the door lock. There's yeah. no way right. for him to physically lock that door. And who comes up right then? But a raptor comes up and he's trying to close the door on the raptor. And Ellie's at the computer because she's supposed to lock the doors, but yeah. she jumps up to help him close the door. And they are both trying to push that thing closed. Well, who's going to work on the computer? Oh, oh, this is a Unix system. 
I know this. this. (laughs) (laughs) That's the only dated thing in this entire movie. Oh, yeah, a Unix system, yeah. Well, Mac OS is a Unix system. This is a Unix system. Stop. It is, for real. That's what, it's the base of uh, OS X. Oh, you're quiet, nerd. All right. <laughs> well, if I'm, I'm quiet, we're never going to get to the end of the thing. All right. Yeah. Um, uh, and so she jumps on the computer. She's working at it. They're finding it at the door. She's going through the system. She finally finds the thing that reboots the system and brings on the lock. She does it, and they lock that door. One other thing that always crosses my mind that doesn't make any sense is look at this scene the way that Ellie is helping Grant hold the door. She is... Literally laying against the door hinge. Yeah. That does nothing. Yeah. Nothing. And also, why is Tim standing there pulling his hair out when he could have handed her the gun that she couldn't reach? Well, the, the abandonment of the guns <laughs> is so bizarre to me. Yeah, yeah. Like, you have, there's a big gun right there. I would shoot it. Um, she can't reach it. Yeah. Um, and they call Hammond on the phone and say, the phones work. And he asks if the kids are all right. They are. And they're like, get, let's get the helicopter so we can get out of here. And then they start climbing up. Um, and leaves the gun behind. I don't know why. Um, and we're now into kind of our last big sequence. There's a, there's a great shot where we see that uh, the Velociraptor, which has somehow gotten into the control room, and it's just covered in computer code. It almost looks like the yeah. Matrix. It's, um, it's a DNA. Oh, it's like the DNA the, projection the, from the... Yeah, like G, whatever. <laughs> like, clearly, I don't know science, but like, you yeah. know, like the A, the T, whatever. Right. Yeah. The, the protein strands, it, yeah. That, yeah. Yeah, that's what it is. Um, and it's, a, it's, it's a great, great shot. And they go up into the crawl space, into the ventilation area or whatever. Sure. They, it seems safe. They do some diehard crawling around. Her, um, her face is placed on a stunt actress's face yeah, the, in that moment when she falls through. And it's it's done so – like the first time I ever heard that, I went back and I'm like, I'm going to look for the seams here. It looks so good. It looks really good. It's yeah. a really scary looking stunt. As the first yeah. the, the raptor comes up and then it drops down and she drops down and grabs on. And we're now down into the main room and there's the scaffolds around the skeletons, which we've seen from the beginning of the movie. And they the, another raptor appears. By the way, I was watching and there was a great surround sound moment at this that just totally made me jump. as that other raptor comes in and they end up having to climb down onto the skeletons and the raptors jumping onto the skeletons and the skeletons are breaking apart and they're spinning in different directions and Tim jumps off and the cables start to break and Lexi falls down and Ellie falls down on stuff and she falls on top of Grant and then the big spine falls down right towards Tim and naturally falls all around Mm -hmm. him which seems to happen over and over again to this kid Um, and now we're on the ground and in come all three raptors and Grant's kind of standing in front of everyone else trying to protect them and don't know exactly what he's going to be able to do. And the raptors are coming in. They're about to lunge at them. And in comes the T-Rex. It's so satisfying. Absolutely. Given everything that happened, it shouldn't be, but it is. Wow, really? You guys feel this way? You don't like it. I don't like it. It's a it's a cop out in my mind because like you want the humans to win. Yeah, well, why does the T Rex come in? Why does it do what attracts uh, the T Rex? The bigger question is how does the T Rex yeah get into the building? Go. Yeah, how does it how do they not hear the T Rex come in through the building? It's a Deus Ex Machina moment almost. How does the T Rex physically get into the building? Deus Ex Rexima. Yeah, Deus Ex Rexima. Yeah, it comes in and eats and everything like that, and they all get and then the other raptors distracted, attack, starts attacking the T Rex, and they all escape in the meantime. The T Rex eats both of the or kills both of the raptors, and then. 
has its uh, yell moment. But I thought it was I thought it was a little bit of a cop out because they'd son they'd been so industrious to get to this point and figured it out to stay alive that I thought it was a little bit of a cop out. I don't know. It, do, it doesn't feel like a cop out to me because mm-hmm. of all of the dinosaurs, it's the raptors that are teed up as the villains of this movie, yeah, true. and the the Rex is essentially your misunderstood hero, which yeah. is kind of what Grant explains when they're looking from the car window. The T Rex doesn't want to be fed; he wants to hunt, and it's just this whole right. for the T Rex. It's this whole arc of basically her being a misunderstood hero. Yeah. So I think everything you say is right. And if I had been in story development in this movie, I would have raised exactly those objections. <laughs> and I think I would have been wrong. And and, mm-hmm. and this is the thing. So so this is not the original ending of the film. Mm-hmm. Is that this is a, a a new idea? And what Spielberg understood as he's working on this movie is he went, oh, the T Rex is a star. And we can't just abandon that star. Mm. We have to have closure with that character. And that's how he comes up with this idea. And this idea is is among the most difficult things they did in CGI. It's way beyond sure. anything they had done before. It's multiple characters, different, all the different sizes, all the different camera moves. They had to do it in a really, really short space of time. And I think it is really satisfying. Although I totally agree. It's yeah. Deus yeah, Ex Machina. I'm not wrong. It's just my opinion. Right, and you guys have your opinion on uh, loving it as much yeah, as sure. you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and we get outside, and Hammond pulls up in the Jeep. And <laughs> of I course. The grand line is... Mr. Hammond, after careful consideration, I've decided not to endorse your park. So have I. So have I. So have I. And we go back to the T-Rex, and we get that last roar and that banner coming down that says, When Dinosaurs Ruled the Earth. <laughs> Yeah. That's great. Mm-hmm. We're at the helicopter. They load the kids in. They get Malcolm in. Hammond takes one last look back at the park. So what, what are you doing? Yeah, get, yeah. It, it was like his life's work. He yeah. can have one last little yep. look. I guess you're right. <laughs> they, they get him inside. They're flying off in the helicopter. He's just looking at that fly in amber at the, the yeah. head of his cane. And the two kids are snuggling with Alan Grant. And Ellie smiles at him, and he opens his eyes, and he looks at her, and there's just a great little smile yeah. back. And we know that what's we don't have to say anything. Right, we right, understand right. what's changed mm-hmm. within him and within their relationship. Add in the score, and it really heightens the, sent- the sentimentality of that moment, mm-hmm. too. Do they ever come back to the franchise? Who? Laura and Sam Neill? Uh, in Jurassic Park 3. They do? Yeah, and the, the kids show up in Lost World. Uh, the the third movie in the franchise is all about Sam Neill physically returning to the park and leading a uh, a, right. a set of parents who are looking for their kids. It's William H Macy, Taylor Leone, yeah, and then uh, Alessandro Navalla. Navalla Literally, yeah. no, I know I've seen it. I have yeah. no memory. Yeah. Of the movie I didn't at all. think it was that bad of a movie. I remember liking it more than Lost World, but maybe going back and rewatching it now, I might not feel the same. It's way. it's not great, but you know, I'll, again, I have a soft spot for yeah. the franchise. I will watch it if it's on. Well, maybe I'll take a Saturday Perry and revisit those two. Okay. And they look out the window, and there are pterodactyls. Yeah. Uh, or what are they? Pelicans. Pelicans. I thought they're pterodactyls. No, 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 no. They they hadn't introduced those until uh, Jurassic Park 3. So it's just pelicans? pelicans? In my Every time I watch the movie, I'm like going, oh, those no. must be pterodactyls. <laughs> I think actually, uh, I think uh, Jurassic Park 3 does end. And it's it's not even a pterodactyl. I think it's a pterodon. Is, mm. is te- the, that, the actual name for the dinosaur that right, you're seeing. Right. All right, then. Yeah. Well, it's the bird's reference either way that he was making at the beginning. Yeah, exactly. We have reached the end of Jurassic Park (laughs) on our epic journey. Normally when 
when this happens, I say again, again, again. Yeah. Um, a couple things about post-production, because the weirdest thing that happened is that as soon as they finish shooting, Spielberg leaves. And he goes to yeah. Poland to make Schindler's List. And he supervises post, the effects, the music, the sound design while making Schindler's List. Jesus. So he's, sh- he's in you know the, the concentration camp every single day. And then four times a week, he's, he's off on conference calls and video conferences and reviewing sound design and music cues and effects. I, I, I just can't – making a movie is really, really hard. These are two really big, really complicated, important films, and he is doing them both at the same time. It's the first time he ever was not at the scoring session with John Williams. Mm. The only time, I think, in his entire career that they weren't together for that. Um, and, you know, what, what What can we say about this film? It's the, fir- it's the first movie that has uh, digital sound. This is when digital sound started going to theaters. The movie cost $65 million to make. It is became the highest grossing film of all time at that time. It's made over a billion dollars. And he makes it at the same year that he makes Schindler's List. Yeah. yeah. Two wildly different films. Mm-hmm. And I bet him doing the post helped him keep his sanity doing Maybe. Schindler's because it, it keeps you out and you see this adventurous film. You can at least balance it out a little to, bit. To me, that uh, accomplishment of making the most successful popcorn movie of all time at that time, the most successful uh, box office film of all time, while simultaneously making a Best Picture winning, I think, one of the greatest films of all time, sure, period. Sure. To do that back-to-back in the same year, no other director has ever done anything like that in the history of film, as Even far as I know. Even though we have these two films and we can watch them all all we want, it still doesn't feel real. Like yeah. Even though you hear about how he operated yeah. with these two movies – it doesn't make any sense to me that he was able to pull it off. I, I, yeah, I, it's totally stunning to me. Well, and there's and this is I, I will say I'm not saying that Spielberg is the best director of all time. I think he is the greatest director of all time. Wow! That the the there is no one who has he is the biggest box office director of all time and still working and still working and still making really good films. Like I, yeah. I just watched The Post recently, which I hadn't seen. Yeah, the Post is good. Film. Post is great. Really good movie. Yeah. Like there's nobody like him. You know. Um, you know, it's like people, you can make statements about Citizen Kane and Kubrick sure. and Hitchcock and Kurosawa and all these people, but nobody's done what Spielberg's done. And these two movies yeah. are the example of it. Be able to make Jurassic Park and Schindler's List mm-hmm. in the same year. Nobody's like that. Spielberg is my personal favorite director. Wow. Interesting. You seem like you have a lot of, of thoughts on no, this. No, no, no. I just, I've never thought to think, I've always saw him, I saw him as a popcorn film. Obviously Schindler's List is way not that, but I, I've always seen him as a populist filmmaker. So for he me, is, my, unquestionably. Right, but I've been in my snob, at my at times snobby elitism, and I will couch that saying I do like the Transformers movies, <laughs> I, I, I don't necessarily put him in the scale of what I would consider the greatest film with like, yeah, Wells or Kurosawa or Fellini or any of these guys, but there is a case to be made yeah. because to work consistently from the early 70s to 2018 and still have great films that are crowd-pleasing films and also films like The Post that make you think about right. political times. Films like Lincoln and, and Saving Private Ryan. Lincoln, and, right, right. You know. They have their, yeah, Private Ryan, they all have their incredible uh, uh, messages that they're trying to say and to consistently keep working. Even Ready Player One yeah. was enjoyable on my end. I liked it. Well, even when he makes something that could be considered a crowd-pleaser and maybe you can't compare that to, yeah. to a, a masterpiece like Schindler's List, right. he never makes a hollow crowd-pleaser, which I yeah. think that's why certain directors who tend to do things Things like that aren't held on like the same level as yeah. others. But every single movie that I've seen of his that I have fallen in love with, 
it, it's got something real, something I could feel, something I think I could reach out yeah. and touch. And I think that's why his movies that are major blockbuster hits, crowd pleasers like Jurassic Park, E.T., all yeah. that stuff. That's why those contribute to him being one of the best filmmakers of all time. I think that's a, yeah, yeah, you guys make me rethink this thing. Uh, absolutely. I, I, I mean, there's, you know, there's more, you can find more artistry, you know, sure, and sure. more independence and more other things, other places. But nobody, I mean, the, the combination of crowd pleasing and powerful, profound yeah. films, nobody else would like that. And he's outlasted all his contemporaries to a degree. In Except for Scorsese, he's the only guy. But, yeah. but Scorsese is doing one every 10 years. Is not consistently good filmmaking at the level that Spielberg. And Spielberg doesn't stop. He's got so That's many I mean. projects lined up now. Yeah. West Side Story and all this other oh, stuff he's working on. I'm scared of West Side Story. I, yeah, as a Latino, uh, I like that he's got uh, uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda involved. Yeah. That helps a lot. I would have rather had a Latino filmmaker, but if you got a Black Panther, get a black filmmaker, one woman, get a female filmmaker. You should have a Latino do West Side. Although, but, although it's all Jews who made who made the original one, which I know you love. Yeah, it's true. It's all, I do all, love that. All, I should direct West Side Story. That's what we're yeah. saying here. It's all gay Jews who make that first movie. <laughs> gay Jews, I love them. Look, of course, they're awesome. Um, uh, John, do you have final thoughts uh, sure. on Jurassic can, Park? Yeah, well, sure. Uh, I will say this. It was so much fun to revisit this film again, having not seen it in such a long time. And I don't think, as Steve said at the beginning, I gave it a fair, as much of a fair shake as I should have. I've always uh, liked the film, but I didn't know how much I should have revered the film. And I think that's what was so impressive about seeing it this time was even in 2018, Damn enjoyable, damn fun. No need for extra backstory. Everything is there. It's a great adventure, fantastic score, and a fun time. And this is what cinema is like supposed to be when it wants to have fun. It is smart. It is enjoyable. It is a great visit with some fantastic actors doing great work. And you can connect at different points throughout the movie with different characters and what they're saying or what they're doing. And I think that's really one of the most impressive things. Oh, and there's an incredible filmmaker behind this whole thing as well in Steven Spielberg. So to me, it's probably his most realized popcorn adventure film. Like it's most fully realized. And that's why it was fun to see it again. And if you haven't seen it in a while and you're listening to us talk about it, I couldn't encourage you more to go back. It's on Netflix. Go back and revisit it and enjoy that damn film and everything that's involved in it, all the expertise. It's such a a fantastic film that should still be studied nowadays. So I don't want to ask you for your final thoughts because I have a yeah. feeling you're going to be delivering thoughts on this film for a long time. I will. I will. I, I never stop talking about this movie. Any opportunity I get to bring up Jurassic Park, you better bet I will. Yes. So is, what are your thoughts right now? <laughs> well, I, I'm, I really like what you just said, Roka. I mean, yep. It really – whenever I hear about anybody else – either expressing their love of Jurassic Park or finding new love in Jurassic Park. It just it brings so much joy to my life because I love movies because I love Jurassic Park first. This is what changed the game for me. This is the reason that I'm sitting at this table right now. Had it not been for this movie, who knows if and when that light bulb ever would have gone off in my head, if anything would have captured my imagination quite the same way. And the fact that that happened with a movie that time and time again, no matter what kind of mood I'm in, no matter what kind of crappy movie I just saw, anything else going wrong in the world, I can sit down, 
watched Jurassic Park be transported back into that scenario, be transported also kind of on the set, too, with yeah. that greater appreciation for everything that's going on. Because a great leader in Steven Spielberg, but Jurassic Park is also a prime example of a set, a production, a team where every single department is working at max level, max effort, and all of their genius is coming together in really an insanely powerful, unprecedented at the time kind of way. And clearly it got me, and I get so excited when I hear it has that same effect on anybody else out there. That's great. Yeah, we're the most So for me, first of all, as for, from the filmmaker's perspective, this is the master craftsman at work. Mm-hmm. This is Spielberg unquestionably, in my mind, is the best storyteller of any filmmaker ever in terms of the ability to make you understand what's going on, the shot selection, the attention to detail, the incredible number of fantastic ideas from the from the ripple in the glass of water to the uh, to the reflection in the puddle of water, which we didn't even talk about, that we see mm-hmm. Malcolm, oh, yeah. to the objects maybe closer than they appear, to every single little detail is so – the Barbasol shaving can. All of this is such, such good storytelling. And it's such a good lesson and something that you brought up before that I want to highlight again is the – that hour you spend getting to know these characters in this situation is part of what makes the action and the wonder and everything else work so well. And so mm-hmm. many movies today are skipping that. And Spielberg, also his understanding of – what to take from the book and what not to take from the book is so brilliant in terms of what he did. The performances of all these characters, Sam Neill, Laura Dern, um, Jeff Goldblum, of course, Richard Attenborough, these are amazing performances and really bring us into the film. But here's the thing I will say is that I think I have to put this film into a very rare category that's come up on the cinephiles. This had Jaws, Star Wars, Die Hard, Silence of the Lambs. I'm putting Jurassic Park in the category of great film that ruined Hollywood because this is one of those movies that changed Hollywood forever because this is the beginning of CGI replacing practical effects and this is one of those things that has been imitated and imitated and used to make a whole bunch of terrible movies. I love this film. I think this is a fantastic film but Hollywood is imitative and in its imitating it often copies the worst parts and doesn't understand the best parts. So, so what happens is we get a whole bunch of movies that aren't very good and that's also because of the success of Jurassic Park. The opinions of Steve Morris on the cinephiles are Steve Morris's alone. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, that's what uh, we... Well, you could actually make that point about any good movie out there for any reason. It's like the second you get some, you figure out something that works really well and bring it to people and they like it, everybody in this industry, no matter what it is, affects anything in the world. They're going to try to make it I would it say again. only populist movies and because people didn't see Schindler's List and go, yeah, we got to do a whole bunch of Holocaust movies. That didn't – that wasn't actually Not necessarily in that case. But even if you're talking about a really obscure foreign film that just happened to do well, it's all of a sudden, oh, I got to do true. an American it's remake. True. Oh, yeah. That's, that's, that's true. definitely true. Um, so that's what we think of Jurassic Park. Of course, I always we always want to hear what you think. You can visit us on our Facebook page. Just do a search for The Cinephile, C-I-N-E-F-I-L-E-S. You can subscribe to us at all sorts of places, including iTunes and YouTube and Stitcher. Please leave a review on iTunes. They really help people find the show. Leave a comment on Stitcher. They're always fun to interact with you there. Um, if you want to support the show, pick a, pick a movie that we're going to talk about. You can do so on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash thecinephiles. If you want to reach me, you can reach me on Twitter at SR Morris. John, where can they reach you? You can reach me on 
You can reach me at the Roca says on Twitter and on Instagram. And uh, I want to thank Perry for taking the time to come on the show. It was, uh, you know, we it took us a long time to schedule you because we really wanted to do this, and we had to figure out when was the right time. And so, you know, it's it's. I know you've been super busy over the last few weeks, so we can't thank you enough for finding the time to come on the show because there is nobody else I was going to allow us to talk to, about the film with. I wouldn't with have you. let it happen. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know fair, what control I would fair. have had, but I wouldn't have let it happen. She thank, shot me in the leg. Thank you for having me. Though. It was fantastic. really any any opportunity I get to celebrate a movie I love so much is greatly appreciated. Oh, well, that's awesome. It's been great. Is, if people want to reach you, yeah. uh, how would they uh, Twitter and Instagram at P. Nemiroff. And your uh, channel, your YouTube I'm channel. I'm so not used to saying that. Yeah, yeah, I have a YouTube channel. It's just my name. So uh, YouTube, uh, something like backslash Perry dash Nemiroff. Awesome. Go. Well, and I think that's it for this week. We will see you next time on The Cinephiles.